I was a nihilist. You know, I love Sid Vicious, the, the Sex Pistols guy. He was dead at 21. That was my dream come true. That was it, and, and it nearly happened. The nature of addiction took me from being an elite-level athlete representing the UK in, in athletics to, you know, some terrible situations, uh, very frightening scenarios uh, with people that was, you know, very, very scary. Broken bones, accident and emergency. Like I say, a lot of tears, a lot of blood, a lot of sadness, and a lot of shame. That's what addiction did to me. Mom doesn't like to see her son come back all beaten and bloody. Addiction is a selfish thing. It's all about me. What can I get out of it? So whether it's, you know, more video games, forget the world out there, you know, just make me feel good. It's a very selfish thing. I've grown into being the man that I always wished I could be in many areas, not just on the, on the, on the feed taper, but up here and in my heart as well. Before we get started, are you ready to take control over gaming? In phase one of our family program, we provide immediate strategies to stop the spiral and break through denial. In phase two, you make progress in all areas of your life, including increased motivation, productivity, and social skills. For information on our coaching programs, you can go to gamequitters.com and click book a call in the top right corner or email me directly cam at gamequitters.com. Tony, welcome to Game Quitters. Hi Cam, pleased to be here. Thanks for asking me. What was the first video game that you played? First video game I played, it would have been Atari VCS, Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Frogger, hard to say which one. Would have been 1980, 81, something like that. Classics. Classics. So we grew up on those. Uh, all the way from Atari, all the way up, and uh, never really looked back. And nowadays it would be Doom if you were looking to play. Doom Eternal is the first 3D game I've played in a very long time. I'm, I still collect the old classic arcade machines. I've recently bought uh, a Taito Egret 2. But uh, purely for aesthetics, I don't play at all, really. I just like to see those old machines, see them running, but no, I don't play them anymore. So we originally got connected. We're sitting here right now because at one point I did a podcast and this view was in my background. Correct. And you had kind of noticed it and you knew one thing. Somehow I ended up on your channel on YouTube. The algorithm gave it to me. I don't know why. And I was sitting watching it. And I watched many of your videos. I got hooked on, on, on the end where you'd say, watch this one, watch this one. And no disrespect, I was, I was listening to what you were saying, but I was also looking out the window and I could see this beautiful backdrop. And I thought, I know that. That's Kosamui. And I know Kosamui very well because I live here. And shortly after I found out that you live here also, and uh, there was a lot more in common between us than what we perhaps first thought. So we were actually at a Muay Thai fight. Our friend Andrew was fighting and mutual friend, I guess. We were both there to support them. We didn't know each other. And then you and your girlfriend approached me saying, I think, are you Cam? Correct. Well, actually, she recognized you first. She said, there's a YouTube guy. And, you know, I come up and, and politely asked. But yes, we were there for the same reason. We was there as older guys to show a bit of support for the younger guys. And I think that really is the critical thing about how our friendship began. And I think that's probably uh, an interesting segue. For us, it was really like the connection around recovery. Correct. For me, it was gaming. For you, it was alcohol. Mm -hmm. where th that was really causing a lot of problems in mm -hmm. our life. And then overcoming that and really moving forward. The common ground that we have between us is that recovery is a process based on something, you know, something which can apply to a broad spectrum of behaviors. It can apply to uh, whether it's video games, whether it's alcohol, whether it's something else. It's the addiction has a lot of similarities and therefore the recovery also has a lot of similarities too. And what I was impressed with was you was bringing recovery 
to perhaps a modern crowd in a way that I hadn't seen before. I certainly was not familiar with a, a recovery process on YouTube. That was completely unknown to me. Yet I'm very, I'm hugely familiar with recovery in more traditional ways. Um, I gave up alcohol at 22. I'm 45, so 22 years off alcohol. And so I'm familiar with that recovery process. But I'm always intrigued by how recovery can be given and um, made attractive to the next generation. And what would you say are some of those key recovery principles for you that, that you live your life by now? Well, I tell you one of the most important ones at the start. When I was 22, I wanted recovery. I'd wanted it for a long time. We'll go back to how I got to that point, but I'd wanted recovery for a very long time. And I was fortunate enough to be living in central London. And in central London, there was a lot of interesting people, well-dressed people, people that didn't seem to fit into a stereotype that I had in my mind, a perception of what someone that was suffering with addiction could look like. Right? So I, I plugged into these people. I was introduced through a lucky acquaintance, really. He said, come and meet these people. Come and listen to what they've got to say. And I was drawn into improving my life through attraction rather than promotion. That was really the key that unlocked a whole new life for me. What do you mean by attraction? Well, attraction rather than promotion means... Um, we used to have an expression which was called seen to be sober. And what that means is if you look like you're living well, maybe your lifestyle looks somewhat admirable. I'm not talking about being a braggart here. I'm talking about having uh, a home which is not, you know, full of tears, broken promises, broken hearts, broken cutlery, broken windows. It's not full of that stuff. It's, it seems to be a life that has some kind of meaning. It seems to have some stability. That's attractive to me. It wasn't until much later when, you know, that kind of Instagram flex lifestyle came into it. That's, that's a much later arrival. But for me, it was a sense of well-being inside the home and seeing people that was living a life which I somewhat aspired to. Even if I didn't indirectly copy, I wanted to be like these older, slightly older guys that I was getting the opportunity to knock around with. And so if we were to look at your life now, okay. compared to your life when you were in, I like to say kind of active addiction, right? Okay. So when, when you were in the midst of addiction okay. and your life now. Okay. Well, in a nutshell, I mean, it's a long story and I could wax lyrical about misadventure after misadventure and, you know, stupid incidents. But the nature of addiction took me from being an elite level athlete representing the UK in, in athletics to, you know, some terrible situations in, 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 in London, uh, very frightening scenarios uh, with people that was, you know, very, very scary, um, broken bones, accident and emergency, um, like I say, a lot of tears, a lot of blood, a lot of sadness and a lot of shame, actually. That's what addiction did to me. Um, I wasn't in the throes of it every day, but when it kicked in, Man, it was terrible. It was terrible. And now not broken bones, blood. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's why we go to the boxing. We let the next generation do that in a controlled environment, in a healthy way. So, so no. Um, it's a long process, actually. Addiction, my understanding of it, 
whether it's through video games, whether it's through something else, or whether it's through a changing nature of addiction. You know, it can shift from one area to another. We used to call it like whack-a-mole. Remember that game, whack-a-mole? They pop up and you whack them down and then it will come up somewhere else. That is a good metaphor for addiction. And so you'd kind of get it under control in this area and then it would manifest in like mad shopping or mad relationships or, you know, crazy things going on, behaviors in the clubs and things like that. So it's always kind of popping up. Now, recovery is a slow and steady process where you get some kind of clarity on this world, this, this mad underworld that you found yourself in. And you get the, the chance to make clear decisions to move away. It's a very active process because you can't get all this in one go. It's a very gradual process which gently leads you from the darkness to the light. And one of the ideas, you know, that we've, we've talked about a bunch and something that's really been inspired by you to me is around the idea of not breaking promises, being a person of integrity, doing what you say, and, and really being truthful and honest and transparent. Yeah, correct. I mean, honesty is always a work in progress and there's, there's, you can go to a granular level, but in terms of not breaking your word, I think that's critical. You know, I've even, I've promised someone something and even later when perhaps it's not the very best idea, it's not a stupid idea, but not the very best, I still followed through with that just to let that other person know that, you know, if shit really hits the fan, then they can count on me. And sometimes that does happen in life. You know, sometimes the young guys don't realize that no matter how well you play every hand that you're dealt, sometimes problems do come. Sometimes, you know, the world does not go how we want and pain is inevitable in this life. Loss and suffering is inevitable in this life. But if you're that kind of person that says, I'm going to solve this, I'm going to find a way through this, I'm going to find a way to help you through this scenario, and you've already won that person's trust, that man's trust, by doing these small things that you said you would over a period of time, then they know that they can count on you. And that's how you form not so much a friendship, not so much a network, but more of a brotherhood or a fraternity. And I think that's what we, we were working towards independently of each other when we bumped into each other at, at that boxing match. Exactly. I, I think when I think about you, Tony, I think about a friend, a mentor, someone who has a bit more experience in me in certain areas and is someone I can definitely rely on for kind of the wisdom I need in, in moments that uh, you have experience in. Correct, but it's a two-way street. Right. It's always a two-way street. So, okay, so maybe I've got a few years, I've got a few more gray hairs than you can, but in terms of, you know, succeeding in life, I might work really hard, but you might work smart, so I can learn a hell of a lot from that. And, uh, you know, it is a two-way street. Even, you mentioned mentorship. We used to call it sponsorship rather than mentorship. This is a, a new term, a relatively new term to me. But sponsorship, and a sponsor would kind of guide the younger guy through some, some steps or some processes. But it is a two-way street. And even when I've been working with younger guys, just like, like you say, just how do you deal with this kind of scenario? How do you deal with that kind of scenario? They think they're learning from me, but in reality, Actually, I'm probably taking more from them in terms of seeing the world through their eyes, in terms of learning how the next generation looks. And what's critical about that is addiction is a selfish thing. It's all about me. What can I get out of this? What can I put into me to make myself feel better? Whether it's, you know, more video games, forget the world out there, you know, just make me feel good. It's a very selfish thing. And that's why service, mentorship, sponsorship, fellowship, brotherhood, trust, reliability. These are very, very valuable 
personality traits that we can cultivate, but by staying alive. That's the critical thing. By staying alive, by staying true to a process, we get the chance to, you know, to really show these things in the world. And let me just say, with a backdrop like this, you know, it's almost like living in a movie sometimes. I'm sure you've, you've recognized that in your own life. Oh, I wake up every day and I look outside and I think the world reflects a lot of beauty. Yeah. And that definitely, you know, I've living in this home, I've had ups and downs. I've had a lot of dark days at times. But when I look outside and I see what the beauty reflects, I think it definitely acts as an anchor to keep me in a generally positive headspace uh, because, you know, I don't see a lot of problems when I look outside. But mm. certainly problems do exist in life. Mm. You ever see the TV series Peaky Blinders? I've seen like one, it seems popular, so I've watched like half of the first episode. If you get the chance, watch it. And watch it because it's a great story, some great acting. But the reason why I was hooked was it's set in, in a town called Birmingham, and within that it's set in a place called Small Heath. Well, I grew up in a factory in Small Heath. My father had a, a print factory in Small Heath. And it's not quite as grimy as it looks on, on the TV show Peaky Blinders, but it is grimy. And it is, you know, it's, it's sort of underprivileged in some ways. And with a backdrop like that, you, you end up meeting negative people. That's what I found. Um, and it did take a, a kind of geographical shift to, to central London to be able to meet people living different lifestyles, to break me out of that, that mindset that everyone behaves in these kind of ways, when in reality, that's not the truth at all. So changing your environment changed the people you're around and started to change your perspective. Yeah, the addict will say change your environment and it's, they're running away from things. But I say have a healthy curiosity about this world. I say if you're running away from problems, you're going to find that you bring yourself to that next location. But I say keep an open mind. Keep curious about the world. I'm not a smart guy, but I'm a curious guy. I'm curious about many, many things. I'm enthusiastic to learn. And so, for example, I moved to London. I met these guys from Hong Kong. They were really high achievers. They were fiends when it came to working. And they were, they were getting results. And I was looking at them and thinking of my friends, you know, wrecked and ruined after the session on the weekend. All weekend we'd be partying. Compared to these guys from Hong Kong who were doing gallery shows and, you know, fashion labels. They were, you know, and still doing 12 hours college work every day. They were, they were really high achievers. And, it, and they'd go out for food together and, you know, there'd be no madness or chaos. And it really inspired me to look to different sorts of people, places and things. Was that the shift for you? Was starting to see a new environment? Or what was the shift that went from I'm in addiction, having a lot of these negative effects occurring in my life, to ultimately starting to move, you know, maybe a growth mindset, right? Starting to move forward in your life in a way where over time things have kind of continued to get better and better. Well, long story short, I would say it was self-reliance because I left home at 20 years old, moved to London, knew nothing about the place. I knew that I needed to be there. This is like 1999, right? Had to be in this city. By the time I got to this house, I didn't realize I didn't know how to look after myself. And all I knew was, was parties, clubs, bars, shabines, off licenses. I didn't know nothing. And man, I got, I got, I got my ass handed to me 
multiple times. So the nature of addiction is you can't stop, right? So you, you have the insight long before you can, you can sort of make that clear cut between in addiction and somewhat outside of addiction. So it's, it's, it's shades of gray. But I would say the fact that I had to survive. I did, yeah, I have family, right? I have family. But other family members was also affected by my behavior, you know? My mom doesn't like to see, a mom doesn't like to see her son come back all beaten and bloody and glass in that, in you know? She doesn't need to see that. That's very damaging. So I knew that if I was to stay alive, not through alcohol poisoning, but through the madness, being run over after walking out the pub or being robbed, stabbed, possible, anything's possible. I knew that I had to do something. And here's the thing. 21st birthday, I was in a club in Sheffield, met a guy. I had no respect for no one, trusted no one. And I met a guy who I connected with, don't know why, Sean. And I said to him, you're like the brother I never had. And so anyway, we spent a couple of years, we spent, I don't know whether it was a year maybe, partying, drinking. And then he disappeared, came back sober. And he was the only guy that I could have connected with. He said, Tone, you know, I rang him up. I'd been fighting in, the, in three nightclubs in the night before. I said, Sean, I'm finished now. He said, let's go. And he was the only person that could have got through to me at that time. So it's strange. It's, it's like a, call it coincidence, but I call it meaningful instances, synchronicity, if you like. And I, I really believe in that. I, I have a lot of trust in that process. And this comes back to an idea we were talking about before, before we kind of hit record, which was the idea of you, you don't have to believe in something specific, but you have to believe in something. Yeah, I think it's critical to believe in something, right? You can call it whatever you want. But for me, I was a nihilist. You know, I love Sid Vicious, the, the Sex Pistols guy. He was dead at 21. That was my dream come true. That was it. And, and it nearly happened. Actually, at 22, I realized it was, it was, it was a load of bollocks, right? So I believed in nothing. So to be suggested to believe in something, something more powerful than myself, well, I was very, very skinny. As you know, you've seen photographs. I was ridiculously skinny, even though I wanted to be strong. And to believe in myself as the highest authority, that's a ridiculous idea. God help the rest of the world if I'm the highest authority. So actually it was a kind of relief. Um, you know, I believed in something. I had a very fun upbringing with my grandmother. You know, it was never pushed down my throat. Nothing was ever pushed down my throat. And I was interested in things like Timothy Leary, Terence McKenna, all these kind of 60 count 60s counterculture guys who was talking about some kind of like colorful spirituality, whatever you want to do, however you want to say that. And so that was my access point. And over the years, I expanded on that and I have a, a kind of robust um, belief system which holds strong through, you know, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff now, Cam. I want to go back to that mindset of when you were in that nihilism. Because I feel like there are so many people who are going to be watching this video who are currently in shades of gray around that idea. Do you know... I've recently been reading a lot of black pill stuff, trying to understand their nihilism. And, and I'm reading it. And I'm reading these statistics and arguments and counter arguments about why the world is like this and why the world is like that. And therefore, we shouldn't try and rise above that. When I was growing up, we didn't have the internet, right? So we would have uh, tapes by Black Flag and they'd have songs like Rise Above, you know, no matter what happens, we just rise above. And, and the guy that was singing that, Henry Rollins, a huge influence, inspiration to me. I think now the nihilism is in a softer kind of way. We were like, let's go out in a blaze of glory, drive a motorcycle into a tree or something stupid like that. And now I think the Duma guys that I know, I know, I know one guy, 
he was a, a DOTA player, very high ranking guy. I know him, I know him face to face. He is lost. He sent me a photo of the chair he'd been sat in, a young guy. He'd been sat in this chair for a summer or two, I don't know. And the chair was indented with his ass and there was nothing around this chair, no pile of books, he was, he was into reading. He'd been playing games. He'd lost himself inside this, this sort of somewhat comfy room. And I think that's the difference. The new generation maybe have softer edges on their nihilism, which perhaps makes it all the more insidious. You know, if you see someone and they're, they're, they're acting way out, they're misbehaving in public and they're fighting and scrapping in, in the street, you can see they've got a problem. But behind lace curtains, in the, in the hidden secrets of their mum's house, all kinds of horribleness can happen. And, and the real horribleness is, is, is going on in here and it's, it goes unspoken. And I think that's the danger that the, the, the new generation are really facing that. So tell us about the nihilistic mindset. If you take us back, I mean, you can speak to yourself or you can speak to the young men that you're working with. When you're in that nihilism, what sort of thoughts are you having? What sort of beliefs are you developing? I used to live by a, by a simple slogan and, and there, was, there was a slogan that said, live fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse. But as that went down the hole further and further, it was, it was shortened to die when you die. I mean, how crazy is that, die when you die? A guy called Gigi Allen, real nasty, nasty guy. He was the darkest of dark. And we used to listen to his records and they were horrible. Gigi Allen, if you want to know his story, watch the film, The Joker. The director of that film did his documentary about Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen died halfway through the documentary, but certain traits of that personality are in that film Joker. And I'm getting the shivers just telling you this. That horribleness that the new generation relate to, that sadness, that self-hatred, and trying to kind of glamorize it, that's probably the best way that I could think of trying to connect with that nihilism, that sense of pointlessness, and, and trying to make a, a, make a, a perk out of it. It's nasty when, you're, when you step away from it, but when you're in the midst of it, it's very romantic, it's, it's, it's nasty. You know, when you think, when you're in the midst of it, you don't see it from any other perspective. It was my girlfriend, she said to me, she said, Tone, every time you go out and you get drunk, bad things happen, and I wasn't able really to piece that together because uh, I was in the midst of it, but she was right. And so she had to see me for what I was at that time, you know, and that was just the final, nail in the coffin of that life. And, and from that day, I said, as I'd said before, I said, that's it, we're finished with this. And, and you know, that was the end of it. The mindset I hear a lot from a lot of the youngers I work with, the gamers who are kind of stuck in their room, gaming all day, not really working, not really moving forward, is, well, life sucks, we're all gonna die. Why don't I just have fun and play video games with the time I have? Well, you know, um, that slogan has somewhat evolved to enjoy the decline. I think that, right? I think enjoy the decline. Maybe these Duma guys, maybe they're correct, but nevertheless, nevertheless, at that final, that final moment where they decide to commit to a life of mediocrity at best, I think, no, enjoy this. Even if the world was to end tomorrow, let's enjoy ourselves as best we can, as long as we're not causing mayhem to other people. Let's try and bring something beneficial and positive into this life and to turn all the crummy stuff that I just described into a strength. You know, when we talk about the next generation, a lot of them don't drink alcohol, but they do get caught up on dopamine. They get caught up on social media. They get caught up on uh, hookup culture. I'm able to share some of my strength 
my experience and my hope of recovery. And they, they buy into it because they understand that I've been down there on a, on a somewhat comparable level to them. So would I wish to change the past? No, no, but only because I have risen above it so far beyond where I thought was possible and what's possible for a guy like me that um, I feel somewhat armor plated these days. And the change ultimately happened in your values because what you're describing is that why not enjoy the decline? Why not enjoy this amazing view we have or the nature or riding the motorcycle or going to support a buddy who's in a Muay Thai fight? There's a value change there because when you're in this live hard, die fast, die young sort of mentality, that's all selfish. I just want to kind of like only focus on myself rather than focus on the impact that I can make or the positivity I can bring to the world. So how, how do you manage to change those values? Because I, I know people watching this who are stuck in that mindset, for them, they're, they're so stuck in just that blur of themselves and, and their own selfishness. The idea of go be positive, go make an impact for other people, go enjoy something outside of this bedroom and this computer screen I'm looking at, to them, it's like, why would I even care about that? There's a, a number of things you said there. The first one, you said, how do you do this? And we used an acronym, HOW, H-O-W, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Those are the three touchstones of recovery, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And before that, my friend Sean asked me one question. He said, Tone, and he looked me cold in the eyes. He said, Tone, are you willing to go to any lengths for this? You think about that before you answer, but do answer. Because if you say yes, and you feel like the kind of man that has the potential of living up to the, his word, like what we just described, and you say, yes, I'm willing to go to any lengths for this, now the doors are wide open. It might not make sense for a while. It might feel crooked and weird and, and bizarre integrating these new behaviors and processes into your life. It might feel very strange for a while, but over a period of time, as you see the results, we, we talk with results, not theory, in, in, in the way that I approach the world. It's all about results. Then, you know, one thing leads to another. It snowballs. It's like stacking money in the bank, you know? Because here's something that's important to know about addiction, from my perspective. I believe that addiction is inside of me. And I believe that it's doing press-ups in the shadows inside of me, right? So I have to keep improving my recovery in order to stay one step ahead of this thing which will lead me astray and lead me you know, down the wrong path. So I have to keep improving myself, you know, a, a rampant dedication to militant self-improvement, I would say. And that's how you stay one step ahead of this thing. So Sean asked you, are you willing to do anything to get this? Are you willing to go to any lengths for this? That's a cold statement. What was this? What was that target? What was that direction that you were pursuing? If he'd have told me 22 years ago that I'd still be looking for improvements, small gains, you know, improving my level of honesty, improving what I can do to be of service to others. I couldn't comprehend it. I was 22 years old at the time, right? But he, 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 he said, okay, you've made this commitment, but you only need to make this commitment until you go to bed tonight. When you wake up in the morning, you can make that commitment again. So we broke it down into little bite-sized pieces and the days turn into weeks, the weeks turn into beautiful months, and the months 
turn into beautiful years. I know for me, like the big change was ultimately that commitment of if I wasn't going to end my life, then I was going to do the complete opposite, which was to truly try to live my life to the fullest and realize my potential and kind of this idea of like, what would it look like for me to actually go as far as I could possibly go? And in the case that it was successful, at the time, I didn't really know what that meant practically. But in the event that I was actually able to do it, then I might as well start today. Because then I can see just how far I can go. When you first told me that you flipped that, 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 you know, that very scary scenario that you've described on your channel a couple of times, I think, that very powerful final thinking and you turn that around 100, 180 degrees and you took the same kind of all or nothing black and white approach from this is the end to let's see what's possible within the parameters of this enormous beautiful game called reality you know I understood that let's do it all or nothing let's just flip the coin and let's see what we can get out of this you know again that sounds selfish but what can we be part of in this in this world and you know our paths have crossed. I've been on the road. I've been traveling. I left England in 2012 and our paths have crossed on this kind of digital nomad circuit around Southeast Asia and, and Europe as well. On a number of occasions, our intellectual paths have crossed on forums, blogs, books, posts. So it doesn't surprise me that we end up in this same place at the same time at this moment talking about these kind of things. Again, that's synchronicity and it's a way of living. And just ironically, you know, I just noticed this. I'm wearing black. You're wearing white. <laughs> you got the white hair to go along with it too. And it acts as such a great contrast, right? Because really what, you know, we're looking at is this difference between going all in on the darkness or going all in on the light. And ultimately, you know, one of the ideas was take it one day at a time. For me, it was just, if I was going to spend my time, my energy, my emotion, my focus on one, then why not pick the one that maybe is a bit more likely to lead to feeling good, feeling happy, being able to see others around me be impacted rather than self-destruction. And I didn't really know if that would be successful, but I had already tried the darkness. I had already tried to spend all my time, all my energy, all my focus on destroying my life and had done that to a pretty successful degree. But I also was anxious, depressed. I didn't feel happy. I didn't wake up every day excited. Those were just the emotions I was used to. So why not try the opposite? Or why not just try something different and see if it ends up with a different outcome? And that was the starting point for me. Now, something I think that's really important for people is to, to choose a direction. At the time, I didn't really know what goals I had. I, didn't, I certainly didn't know that all these years later I would be living in a place like this or having a conversation with you. I, I didn't know I'd have, have a channel. I, I had no idea about any of this. At the time, the only thing I really knew was I wanted to learn how to make friends and be able to connect with people and not feel so lonely and feel so out of control in my social life. And so that's the direction I started with. How do I make friends? How do I connect with people? How do I go on dates? That was the initial starting point. And then that's led to, I want to work for myself. I want to live outside my parents' house. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to work on my laptop. It's all grown from there. But the initial direction was just... I don't want to be so lonely. I want to make some friends and be in more control of that myself. I think the addict 
the active addict experiences a loneliness, a loneliness like no other. I think there's, there's such a chasm of emptiness inside which the addict tries to fill with gaming, with, you know, substance or, you know, some kind of activity or behavior that the network, the fellowship, the brotherhood, the friendships are an intrinsic part of that because when we talk one-to-one, we might just happen to say something that just just helps that man or it reveals something that we're, we're struggling with, some issue that we're struggling with but can't kind of make that small mouth noise to or, or feel comfortable to communicate even though you know we're, we're good friends. It might just come out inadvertently and that might trigger something because trapped behind you know the walls of your bedroom you're left with this and this is where the problem is centered in the mind addiction is centered right here so it's very difficult to use that same thinking to solve the problem like that but here's the blessing here's the blessing now if you have some kind of addiction and you can harness it in some way. It is the turbocharger on life. Normal people cannot access this kind of like, like, you know, that film Fast and Furious, Noz. You know when they, they hit the Noz button, right? And they just get that extra boost to make the jump or whatever it is. That's what addiction is when it's harnessed. That's what addiction can be like. So you set your goal to, to you know, to live in a, in, a, in a beautiful place, beautiful girlfriend. You know, you set, you set your mind on this. With the addiction harnessed, you can sort of tunnel vision everything inconsequential and you can go full tilt to that. I mean, watch David Goggins. I'm not, you know, he, he, I, I'm not calling anyone an addict. I won't call anyone an addict. That's, some, that's a very personal thing that that person has to say for themselves. But look at that man. He's unstoppable. He's ruthless to get what he desires. And that's the flip side of addiction. You know, it's not all bad news. It can be the greatest thing that ever happened to a man. It's about how you harness it. If you can harness it. it. It's about being able to nurture it in the right direction, point it in the right direction, and be able to have that. Like addiction is destroying your life. While a lot of the same traits, behaviors, mindsets, if directed in the right direction, can actually really enhance your life in beautiful ways. It, it gives you that, that extra 5% which normal people don't have access to. Think of all the great athletes when they finish, or the sports stars, or when they finish their, their career in, in the sports game, they go off the rails, you know, because they have this thing inside them. I'm, I'm thinking of Conor McGregor. I'm not saying he's, you know, he's got any addiction thing. I'm not saying that. But, you know, he's looking at parties. He's looking at bars. He's maybe slurring his words. You know, I, I pray that he's all good and, and gets back in the ring with the, the charisma and the, the braggadocio that he's displayed in the past. Being able to nurture that focus requires you to have boundaries in your life that don't lead down the destructive path. For you, one of the boundaries you have is around social media. Correct. Yeah, you know, I have, I have very good experiences on Facebook. When it first started, I met all these phenomenal people all over Europe. I connected with all these different people, uh, worked on different fashion magazines and met a girl who eventually became my wife in Slovakia. Now, how does a guy from Birmingham meet a girl in Bratislava? I didn't even know it where that was at the time, but nevertheless, Facebook gave me that connection. But very quickly, I realized, you know, I wasn't drinking, so I was very sensitive, I was very attuned to my own body and my own kind of, the way I, my, I was being pulled in different directions. And what I realized was, although I couldn't, articulate it at the time was there was something about that platform that was encouraging me to 
take thousands of photographs on the weekend, go to all these places, these parties. I wasn't drinking, bear in mind, but I was going back to the parties. I was, you know, presenting a certain lifestyle. And I was looking at other people's lifestyles and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to do that? I should be here. I could be here. I would have this. And it was tweaking me. It was tweaking me very, very much. And, and Instagram sort of took that to the next level. So I shut all that stuff down once I started traveling. You know, kind of weird when you go away to shut down all your social media. But I realized it was, it was affecting me in a way that I didn't like. I still use WhatsApp. I like WhatsApp. I keep in touch with everyone on WhatsApp and Telegram. I love it. But I don't have followers. I don't have any of that stuff because there's something about it, as you well know, and have articulated very well yourself, the dopamine affects me greatly. What is it about the dopamine that you know this, that you need to kind of keep limits around? Well, this goes back to the gaming. I was always like playing Kung Fu Master, playing Street Fighter, Champion Edition, you know, gotta have one more game, one more game, one more game, gotta have it. Didn't know it was dopamine at the time, didn't know it was that addiction thing. Facebook, gotta keep scrolling, gotta keep scrolling, gotta keep posting, gotta keep looking, thinking, thinking, thinking. And it's almost like you eat too many donuts, you feel at the end of the session like, what the hell just happened here? You've got nothing beneficial out of it. And you've got this kind of sugary rush, which just doesn't feel that great. And you're wondering what's going on. It goes back to, I used to play fruit machines, put the money in, couldn't stop putting money in. Same thing. So by that point, I realized if something is affecting you negatively, walk away from it, regardless if it's a relationship, a behavior, just put it down, leave it behind. And I think that was an incredibly valuable thing to do. You've also talked now about how it's affecting you physically. How have you developed that ability to be more physically present? I didn't have a lot of choice, actually. I was physically, I was somewhat limited. So I spent a lot of time, many years actually studying books. And one book, which was instrumental, in fact, I read it every day for several years, was a very popular book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I read it every day, man. I wore, I wore that book, the spine, underlining, post-it notes, everything. And essentially it just says, if you're thinking and you become aware of the thinker inside your own skull, what's going on here? Are you the thinker? Are you the watcher of the thinker? And I practice meditation. I practice that, I can say religiously, I practice meditation on a daily basis for a very, very long period of time. And I became attuned to that sensitivity of the dialogue going on up here. So when it goes off on a mad one, he said, she said, could have, would have. I'm able to nip it in the bud very quickly. It's a good start point anyway. And one of the fundamental differences you're talking about is using the tool instead of consuming the tool. There's the whole Reddit channels about that meme about consume next product and get excited for next product or something like that. And you don't want to be a consumer, you know? There's all those kind of memes which, which really hone in on the point that it's much, much better to be a producer of amazing experiences for, you know, if, you, if we go on Instagram, it's better to live that life than to, to experience it vicariously through some guy in Bucharest. You know, you want to be living that life or, or some kind of simulacra of it anyway. I mean, yesterday we went for a brunch with a group of friends, a group of guys who were all doing really cool stuff in the world and we all had a great time. It blows my mind. You know, there's so much, it's, it's so easy to say the next generation are, you know, they, they don't have the, the, the grit you know, they don't have the killer instinct in their eyes. It's very easy to say that. But our experience tells us otherwise. There are enormous numbers of very accomplished young men who are doing incredible things. They're leveraging technologies. They're 
living this digital nomad lifestyle as a kind of default, whereas with us, it was a kind of like a luxury option. They're scaling things on, on levels I could not have fathomed and still I'm astounded by. It blows my mind. And, and to see these, these kind of elite level, upper echelon young guys succeeding in life, it just enriches my soul, man. I can't tell you, that's the antidote for the nihilism. To see these young guys, I don't have a family, I don't have uh, children, but to see these young guys rising up to levels that I didn't even know was possible, crypto, all this stuff they're doing, it, they understand it, NFTs, uh, blockchain technologies, now the AI guys, it blows my mind. And so this gives me a desire to, to live more, experience more, stay alive longer. This is the antidote to the nihilism that addiction brings. So if you could speak to the black pill guys, the guys who are the doomers, the ones who feel like there's no hope, it's all pointless, fuck it, just have fun anyways, just escape, avoid... What would you say? I'd say the Doomers, you know what I like about the Doomers? They've got funny memes. They've got some great little punk rock bands. You listen to Doomer music, you know, Soviet Doomer music. You listen to this kind of like incel punk rock. It's exactly the stuff that I was into when I was growing up. It's, you know, it's phenomenal. You know, it's, it's hilarious, some of this stuff. Uh, I'm going to sound like the, the old uncle. Like, was it? XP negative, I don't know, correct me. But these bands, are, they're, they're creative. That's what I'm saying. In their hearts, they are creative guys. They're funny. They're interesting. And yet, it seems to me, they'll call me a copa, but it seems to me at the final conclusion, they're just taking a turn in a slightly different direction, like that meme, which way now, man? And he's got two choices. And they're taking a route which will keep them locked in a world of self-fulfilling prophecy, which is doomed for them. Um, and it doesn't have to be like that. There's a whole world out there. You know, they joke about, um, about uh, you know, uh, getting the suntan all over, suntanning their balls and stuff. I say, go and do it. I say, go and get a suntan. I say, go and walk on the sand with no shoes on, go in the ocean, go swimming, get in the boxing ring, get your nose broken, enjoy that, you know, in, in a controlled environment. Enjoy life for the richness that it is. You know, these simulated environments, no matter how compelling they are, look at the, the Apple Vision thing, you know, what's the parameters of that? No matter how compelling these technologies are, they pale into insignificance with the real world. Get on a motorbike, get on, I've got a beautiful motorbike and I hammer it around a tropical island, listening to Gigi Allen still. And I love life, you know? I love it. I would... I've seen a PlayStation 5 recently. It's nothing compared to my motorcycle, tropical islands, music, sunshine, real life. Nothing. And what is it about that that you love? What is it about real life that you love? When I was young, I wouldn't have been able to answer that. But as I get older, you know, alcohol, it's like learning to appreciate a wine. When you're a kid, you want to drink Coca-Cola. You want the full sugar Coca-Cola. As you get older, you, your, your taste refines. So let's, let's use coffee as a better, better example. You can understand the, 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 the palate more. You can understand the sour taste is not necessarily immediately uh, delicious, but you learn to appreciate it for what it is. And after a period of time, you can say, this is a good cup of coffee, or this is, you know, this is a piss poor cup of coffee. And so it is with life. There's that, that, that myth of Sisyphus, the struggle that we all go through knowing that the end is coming, right? 
It's coming for all of us. But despite that, we continue to roll the boulder up the hill to live a beautiful life, to hopefully inspire the next generation and to be a good example. The same way that Sean was a good example to me. He was like the big brother. I want to be a, a big brother to these other guys, you know, or a mad uncle, whichever way they want to look at me, but just be a positive light rather than a pain in the ass. Yeah. I'd say you play both roles pretty well. <laughs> very kind of you, Cam. You're very kind, man. <laughs> You've been able to continue to move forward and continue to grow over a longer period of time. Whereas in addiction, there might have been spurts at times where you did start to move forward, but then you kind of fell back. And then you went forward and then you kind of fell back. How have you managed to not fall back into that addiction where you just never really make progress over time and you continue to work towards the light? It's momentum, actually, because like I say, the trend line is this direction, but it's, it's like a plane on autopilot. 90% of the time it's off track, but generally it's going to get to its destination. So I would say a lot of the time I'm always refining the process, but I keep momentum. So you say, you know, I, was, I wake up early. I wake up early and I'll work till late. I'll do a double shift today. You know, by the time London wakes up, I've already done one working day because I want to go harder. I want to go faster. I want more out of life, just like you. What are the parameters here? What is possible? The only true limitations in the, in the, in the realm of the minds are to be found through imagination. I think expanding your imagination is really what's the name of the game. What can we do here? Let's find out. It's going to be a good journey. So for people who want to see imagination in action, right now you see Tony, you see a dude who's in good shape, you see a handsome gray-haired man, and it's not always been this way. And there's been a huge, you know, not just physical transformation, but, but mental transformation as well. And testosterone obviously played a huge role in that, in how you were physically feeling and, and ultimately how it affected your mind and affected your behavior and, and ultimately led to everything. And I know this is something that's really important to you. How was testosterone affecting you in a way that was leading to all these physical issues, the physical health issues, and ultimately your mindset? So in a nutshell, you know, I'm quite vocal on this because I lost a lot of time because I didn't dive into this subject and you know, I suffered for a very long time needlessly. The, I had a, had a BMX accident when I was young, smashed myself up and they pieced me back together. But what they didn't realize at the time was it had knocked all my, my hormonal, I don't know what it is. It, didn't, it knocked all out of balance. And I went from being a, a, an international athlete at 15, 16, 17 to on my 18th birthday, this, this hormone problem had kicked in and I was getting more and more tired. And on my 18th birthday, I went out couldn't do it. I, I had a small accident in my car. I went home to bed. I didn't get out of bed till my 19th birthday. I was, you know, doctors didn't run the right tests and I trusted them enough not to get second and third opinions. So I labored on thinking that this is just how it is for, for me. Low energy, tiredness that wasn't cured by sleeping, um, unable to gain muscle despite eating quite a lot. I was getting skinnier and skinnier. And that picture you described, I can only describe as, um, Christian Bale in The Machinists. That's not even an exaggeration, I don't think. Very skinny, ghoulishly so. And I was getting smaller and smaller. And I never looked into testosterone. And the reason for that is I, I'm an athlete. Performance-enhancing substances are forbidden. Dorian Yates was training in the gym in Birmingham 
when I was an athlete. And we were told, never go down that street where this big bodybuilder is training because you might encounter something that's absolutely forbidden in the world of athletics. So I, I never looked into what those guys was doing. Finally, after many, many years of, of like suffering, I learned about testosterone, get a testosterone test, get a three-part test. And I did that. And I also got to battery of other hormonal profiles. And we found an anomaly. It was, it was right there, this, this one which was off the charts. And it was having a very bad effect on, on all the rest of my body. The testosterone, I had exceptionally high testosterone, but it was completely unavailable to my body. It would kind of come in spurts like this. So I solved the problem. Long story short, solved the problem. I, uh, I took something for the hormones and then that affected my body. So I had to get onto TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, to get my body working properly. And that was really a phenomenal change for me. I was able to build muscle through eating. But primarily, I was able to gain momentum. My strength was consistent. My willpower, I was always a savage in my mind, but I was able now to act on that in terms of having a goal in the distance. I'm not nihilistic at this point, so I can imagine being alive somewhere in the future, work towards it and achieve the milestones along the way. And that really is the, the, the strength of TRT because it gives you that confidence, self-assuredness, that this will be done. And so it will be. And so how does it affect you now? Well, I'm gonna be on it for the rest of my life. You know, it's no miracle medicine. There's some very serious side effects. I'm on it for the rest of my life. But would I go back to how I was before? Absolutely not. You will have to prize that medicine out of my dead hand because it's been a game changer for me. And I say this, perhaps this is something to do with the next generation. They're affected in ways that the older generations were less so. For example, if you look at the charts of the global testosterone levels or the estrogen levels, I forget which, grandfather had a very high T, your father had somewhat depleted. Our generation and the generation below was somewhat depleted and the next generation, they are right down there. You know, they are suffering on a hormonal level. So I say this to all the guys, regardless of whether they're suffering symptoms or not, go and get the three-part test. Then you've got the numbers. I don't know, I can't tell you the numbers, I'm not a doctor, but get those checked by someone that knows about optimizing your testosterone. Get those numbers and now you've got a baseline for when in the future your testosterone will start to dip and it will decline. You now have a, a level that you want to get back to at a time when you were feeling good. But I'll say this, I would say most young people really need to know that their testosterone is probably lower than it should be and it's certainly not optimal and I think that's what we're seeing with this sedentary somewhat herbivore generation that's coming up. The lifestyle itself is leading to actual hormonal changes which is then causing physical and mental symptoms and then even if you're sitting here watching this video being like yo I want to move forward I want to live a life of purpose I want to be able to accomplish goals I just can't seem to do it it might actually be something, you know, as simple or not as simple, but, you know, simple as your hormones are actually off. And if you go get your blood work done, you go get this stuff checked. If it's not off, at least you can then mark that as something that isn't causing the issue. But if it is, you can optimize it. You can adjust it. You can get that stuff fixed. And it actually might be a completely life-changing experience. Completely. We have to attack this from every angle. We have to attack it from 
a hormonal angle, a, a mental angle, a spiritual angle, you know, whichever way we can, we, we sort of chip away at it in order to remove all the, the, the plaque, if you like, from the soul in order that we can make that progress and see the world for what it is without this kind of like Duma mindset over the top, overlaid on the top of it. Right. And just on this, I, I know like, because I know you, when you found something that works, you continue with it. I know that for you, your diet is something very specific and it's a ritual for you. And it's something that you take with the most seriousness. Yes, my diet is very important, but it's teamwork actually, Cam. I couldn't eat, I eat a lot of food every day and I have done for the last seven years. I couldn't do that without my team around me, my family, right? And they see the benefits of me having good health, a good mindset, and we work as a, as a team. So my girlfriend will prepare every day. It's like mass catering. She'd be cooking for me for two or three hours to prepare the food. So I've got the strength to work these double shifts that I described in order to bring in the money to maintain the lifestyle that we want to live and move forward in the future. It's teamwork. It's teamwork. It's critical that we have that, 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 that click around us. We might have to kind of scratch it from, you know, the materials to hand. But um, it's the full package. Life is the full package. Recovery from addiction has to be the full package as well. And it's the standard because it's not like your diet is like good kind of 60% of the time, but then 40% of the time it's like absolutely terrible. You're quite good at being able to maintain... Like that standard is a standard and I keep it at that standard because that allows me to not just perform at a certain standard, but avoid falling back into the depths of hell that I've come from. My performance in terms of staying true to the diet every day for seven years is because of my girlfriend, actually. She's the one that puts it together. She's the one that sources it. She's the one that prepares, you know, the food for me every day. So without her support, man, it wouldn't, it would be very difficult because it's not about doing this 40%, 60%, 80% of the time. I do it 95% of the time. The other 5% is by design. You know, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I have built a body. I've gone from 70 kilos to 100 kilos. I'm not going to win a prize, but I have a, I've grown into being the man that I always wished I could be in many areas, not just on the, on the, on the V taper, but up here and in my heart as well. I guess we can wrap up with this, which is nobody wins alone. And it's the reason we connected and for me, you're such an important mentor, friend, role model in my life, someone who's brought so much value to me and helped me navigate very difficult situations in times when I really needed that. And I'm sure it's vice versa in that, in that sense. You and your girlfriend, your girlfriend supports you in a way where you, will, you lean on her to be able to help you be in the best state that you can be. And I'm sure vice versa as well. For people watching this who are in that kind of nihilistic mindset, selfish, addiction, just focused on themselves, focused on the world sucks, I'm just going to continue to live my life the way I want, maybe it's time to start leaning on some of those people around you. It doesn't have to just be by yourself. You don't just have to go through life by yourself. You can lean on people around you. We're doing this podcast right now because... My video editor, Gleb, who you guys have seen before, we did a podcast together. He was in town for the weekend and that made it really easy for me to say I can lean on him to make sure that we get a nice setup. We have all the lights and everything and that just makes this work really, really well. And so lean on people around you because you don't win alone. You're not gonna be able to do it by yourself. You need community, you need mentors, you need people you can rely on. And if you're willing to open up a little bit, to actually allow those people in your life to help you, 
it makes the job so much easier. I'll say this. You're working at the vanguard of recovery and Leon, sober Leon too. You guys are working at the cutting edge of recovery from addiction. It's something I admire tremendously because I'm old school. My, my beliefs are somewhat set in, they're somewhat calcified. When I see what you two guys are achieving and the guys that you're bringing up with you through your insights, you're reading those medical papers, which I, I just simply cannot. I'm, a, I'm bro science all the way, right? So you guys lead the way. You lead the charge. You're looking for how the nature of addiction is changing and how to overcome it using the, 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 the most forward-thinking approaches. I have an incredible amount of respect for both what you and, and Sober Leon are doing out here. So, you know, I'll, I'll finish on this, but if I can be of service, I will be. If you ask me to do something, I'll do it for you. And, um, and that's really how friendships are built. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your story. And I just think on behalf of everyone watching this, it's been super helpful. And for anyone listening, anyone watching, what's one idea that you can take away today to really be able to move forward in your life? If you're in the state of kind of doom and gloom, you've already tried that. Maybe it's time to try something new. And I guess that's what we invite you to do today. The light really is worth it. So never quit and keep going. Today can be the end of that journey. It can be the end of that darkness. It might not be a full beam of light overnight, but that last dip into the darkness can be the end of it. And there is a beautiful world out there waiting for you. If only you'll seize it with both hands. So I wish you the best of luck and Godspeed. Thanks so much for listening to the Gaming the System podcast. I hope you got value out of today's episode. On GameQueers.com, we have hundreds of YouTube videos, articles, and other podcast episodes to help you get control over gaming. We also have bespoke coaching programs where we work directly with you and your family to get gaming under control for good. For information on our coaching programs, email me directly, cam at GameQueers.com, or go to GameQueers.com and click book a call on the top right corner and I'll share information with you then. Together, we will get your son back on track and we look forward to working directly with you.